Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on social media at Galen Trombley. I hope you enjoy the show. Greetings. Please hold for a very important message. Light speed sequence initiated. How may I help you? Bonjour. Security breach. The truth shall set you free. <laughs> awesome. It's a miracle. Mission complete. Thank you. Have a nice day. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 213 of the Galen Trombley Show. My guest today, and I think it's, I got a couple backstories um, to introduce you to, but you might be the only person so far that I know that has a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Did you know that? I, I didn't. I know I have one, but I didn't know that I was the only one you've interviewed. I, I think so. There might be some other people, but I thought that was pretty cool because usually when I do like some research on people and you have a you have a Wikipedia page, did you do it yourself? No, I was gonna. Now you got me nervous. <laughs> I'm gonna have to put my team on that. Make sure. It's, it's, Were you born February 21st? I was. Okay, so it's, it's accurate at least to that. So, so far, um, my my guest today is Senator Dan Steck. He's a state senator representing New York State. Um, get this correct: New York State Senate for the 40. Or yeah, forty fifth district. Correct. Okay, I had so Dan. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Galen. And I'm glad you're here. And we had uh, Dan roll in right after me. We parked in the cheap seats, and our office is still under construction. It's better than when I had Chris on, but it's still not great. But Dan has been a, a trooper. He's going to hold the mic today. Um, so I think this will be fun. But Dan, for people that do not know you, who are you? How'd you get to be where you are now? In since February twenty first of I won't say the date. Yeah, thanks. That's very <laughs> kind of you. Um, Born and raised down in Queensbury, you know, Glens Falls, uh, and uh, went to Queensbury High School at K through 12. My father's a retired state forest ranger, and that'll come in later, I'm sure, when yep. we start talking about my day job. But uh, my dad's a retired forest ranger. My mom's uh, was a secretary in the high school. I uh, had a younger sister, Heidi. She's a nurse, and she uh, lives out on the West Coast right now. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, I went to Clarkson University, uh, and uh, actually I went there, I skipped my senior year of high school, and I went there a year early in the Clarkson School back in the day. Uh, uh, it's a great program, and I uh, went for chemical engineering, and while I was there, uh, the Navy was recruiting technical majors, engineering, math, science majors, because they needed more of those for their, uh, their nuclear-powered warships. So, uh, you know, the Annapolis and the, the ROTC program, they, uh, you know, they weren't producing enough people to run the submarines and the aircraft carrier reactors. So I, I went through the Navy's nuclear power program. The Navy paid for, uh, helped me pay for my last two years of school, and I owed them five years. But I ended up giving them a total of eight. And, uh, you know, I went to two, first two years was all training all over the country. I was six months down in Orlando, six months back in Saratoga, six months in San Diego. And then I finally got to my ship up in uh, Bremerton, Washington, up near in Puget Sound near, uh, near Seattle. And uh, I was on a nuclear-powered cruiser, so I went to Hawaii, went down to uh, Melbourne, Australia, spent a week in Melbourne, then around Australia, up into the Persian Gulf, spent a couple months in the Gulf, up into the Red Sea, spent some time there, back across the Indian Ocean to Thailand, uh, Hawaii, and back home. So that was my, my big Westpac cruise, and uh, I've been through the Panama Canal and in the Caribbean. When, uh, when I got done with my time on the ship, I spent three more years uh, on shore duty in Newport, Rhode Island. The Navy, the Navy doesn't have a lot of out, you know, outposts in North Dakota, right? We, yeah. We're on the coast. You yeah. know? They were thinking when they did that. So I've lived in some really tough places uh, in the country. But uh, I got out of the Navy in 1998, moved back to my hometown, 
took a job in Glens Falls as an engineer. That's what I'd gone to school for. And um, but I uh, I was interested in politics, so I spent a couple years on the town's zoning board of appeals. Um, it's important stuff, but it's not exciting stuff. I mean, zoning. Think about it. Oh, you know, yeah. It's like watching grass grow, but it's it's important. Yeah. And uh, and people get passionate about you know, hey, what's coming in next door to me? And you know, these are these are important issues, but it, it it's it can be technical and uh, and kind of slow. But uh, um, then I did a few years on the town's uh, town board. And then I tell everyone at that point, I realized I liked my part-time job more than my full-time job. So um, I ran for town supervisor and Queensbury is like 30,000 people, you know, so it's, it's in fact, I often compare Queensbury and Glens Falls to the town and city of Plattsburgh yeah. as far as size, demographics, a little history, a little, you know, history of, of not always getting along and, you know, those kinds of neighborhood issues. Um, with each other there's a lot of parallels and i've told rosenquest and uh, cashman that many times i was like i get the relationship that you guys and your municipalities and the history because it's very similar to queensbury and glens falls um eight uh i was a town supervisor for nine years then uh teresa saber retired from the assembly i ran for her seat i spent eight years in the assembly and then uh when betty little retired i ran for her seat and i uh, just last uh, month i was uh, re-elected to my second term in the in the Senate. So, uh, you know, I've been in one form or another in, in uh, state or local government for 20 years now. So I started off saying I'm not a politician. I don't think that that dog hunts anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's my background. I, th th Dan, that was great. That was a great uh, that was a great recap. Um, I think you hit a bunch, but I'm going to go back. Um, what what got you originally into the Navy? Was that all those years ago, help, uh, help pay for school. Not yeah. hard. So, my my dad is one of twelve kids, and uh, and my mom's one of five. And uh, my mom's the oldest of five, but she had two younger brothers. Two, my two uncles, they were both in the navy, and my mom's father was in the navy. He was a chief. Uh, my dad was uh, one of twelve. He was in the Marine Corps. Uh, there were seven boys uh, in his family, and all of them served: four Marines, two Army, one Air Force, and my father's father was a blacksmith in the polish cavalry came over on the boat many years ago and became a mechanic in the uh, army air corps so a lot of uh, a lot of service uh, you know both sides of my family um growing up so you know something that was important to me um, i often tell people my dad when i told him i wanted to join the navy he tried to talk me out of it because he was also of the mindset mine was the first generation of the family to go to college mm -hmm. you know and he while he's a great patriot himself but he's like, you know, your, your, your family has served, you know, you, you're going to college. So he was very big on, on that aspect of it, but I wanted to do it. Now I graduated high school in 1987. Mm -hmm. I skipped my senior year of high school. So I graduated Clarkson in 1990, but there were two movies in the mid eighties that influenced my decision to want to join the Navy officer and a gentleman okay. and top gun. Okay. You know, I mean, those are, they made it look cool. So yeah. when I, I, you know, I, I was in the Navy's nuclear power program and my, my old man, I don't call him that, but, but my father, <laughs> about, yeah. my father, he, you know, anytime he would talk about me to the neighbors and he's one of those dads that doesn't shut up about his kids. But, um, he, uh, you know, anytime he would talk to, to people and tell them what I'm doing, he would see, he would emphasize he's a nuclear engineer in the Navy. I'm like, dad that's not cool i said you got to tell people he's a navy officer you know just leave it at that you know the, the nuclear power you think horn rim glasses and tape and all that he didn't just go if you've ever seen top gun just nod his head like <laughs> yeah so goose. um but yeah so uh, you know and uh, help pay for school i mean you know the, that old saying you know it helped help me pay for my college education and i owed him five years and uh it was a good deal i saw the world i mean i i did enjoy my time 
Yeah, and as a young as a young adult at that point, it was probably pretty cool to go and it, it was. see different cultures, oh, yeah, different no, climates, kind of ch- well, change it up. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you go to Bahrain in in the Persian Gulf, or you know, I've been to the United Arab Emirates, I've been to Muscat, Oman, uh, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, I lo- but one the uh, Thailand, but one uh, Melbourne, Australia. But what really jumps off the page at me when I talk about like weird and exotic places I've been to, Djibouti, Africa. Djibouti is a tiny country right at the entrance to the Red Sea. Um, it's small and it's okay. nestled right between Somalia and Ethiopia, and it's the poor kid on the block. But there's a big French Foreign Legion base and a French Foreign Legion presence there. So I saw the guys with the you know Lawrence of Arabia hats and all that oh, really? stuff. And they're and they're I mean the Foreign Legion's I, a bunch of tough guys, right? I mean they're all running from something. I mean they're all mercenaries I, or adventure I, guys. I think the only thing I know about Djibouti is the capital is also Djibouti. Correct. Yeah. Djibouti. So Djibouti. It's, it's it's they really it's, they and really it's, uh, and it's spelled with a D. Is it <laughs> starts with a D? D Djibouti. <laughs> No, um, so is being a nuclear power chemical engineer in the Navy, is that as cool as it sounds? Or was, if it sounds nerdy, it, it you, sounded nerdy, but it sounds kind of cool. I think like nowadays you see like rocket ships going up and you see all these things happening more on the chemical level. Like it sounds, sounds cool. I don't know how it was back when you were in there. You know, I, um, the, the Navy did revere that, you know, those that were in the nuclear power program, the Navy really, you know, just helped them. They were like... The intellectually, the Navy SEALs of the Navy, you know, as mm-hmm. far as if you're trying to think of who are the, the sharpest people, you know, enlisted officer, these were all the guys with the top test scores, you know, I mean, they were in demand, they could all go and do a lot of other things. And many of them, when they get out of the Navy, you know, they get scoffed up by all these corporations because they're a proven and known quantity. Um, but, you know, so that in that regard, it was cool. But, uh, you know, just again, you know, great people that I served with. And when you serve with a watch team of, you know, about a dozen people, uh, and you're with them day in and day out, you know, in a, a steam engine room. It was hotter than hell. And, yeah. and, you know, you're doing stuff and, you know, and everyone's, you know, everyone likes to gripe. You know, there, there's a saying, a bitching sailor is a happy sailor. You know, I mean, that's just the nature I yeah. think, of sailors. And But, you know, you do build a, a team sense and a camaraderie. But, you know, um, you know, flash forward to, you know, is there any... There's obvious, you know, you learn leadership things and relationships and, and working with others and structure and chain of command, which, you know, I wish more people understood and respected, you know, the concept of a chain of command and, and uh, today. But, um, you know, just uh, really enjoyed um, working with these people. But I because I learned a little bit about power generation, you know, now today, one of the big things that we're, we're always talking about everywhere in the country and, and including in Albany is you know, energy and the green energy. And, you know, I mean, you know, so there's like a sense from some people, they just hate anything that has to do with hydrocarbons. And, uh, but, uh, you know, you also get a sense that some people think all you got to do is put an outlet in a wall and you can plug into it and you can take all the power you want. No, that's not how it works. You know, I mean, these issues are more complicated and, uh, you know, I mean, you really got to, you know, look into the numbers and, hey, what's feasible, what's not. Some of the stuff that's floating around that, you know, Albany would like to do, it sounds great. And if you don't know anything about power generation and distribution, you're like, yeah, let's do that. We'll save the planet. And then you realize, you know, in order to do what you want to do, we're going we're going to spend, you know, five times more, you know, and, and people won't be how, able to afford it. How does that how does that work on the political? Because I, I look at it from... Again, I've never been in politics. I'm, I'm a normal consumer. You know, you, you see the news and you read stuff, but you know, you see like the headline grabbing aspects of um, mo- most talking points. I feel like are headlines. And you don't get all the gist of it, and then you actually see the like you guys going out, you know, on the floor or in, in discussing it and reading through all the documents and everything else. 
you know, there's so much more to a story and so many, like, how much do you think that we actually get processed out maybe on a news cycle or that we actually get put out versus what you guys see? Because a lot of times they might criticize like, well, Dan doesn't like X. Right. And you're like, well, here, here's the, because this happens in every line of business. I mean, if I yelled something and you're like, well, Galen believes that, that, but then I'm like, well, here's all the reasons that nobody's telling you. And like, okay, that makes sense. I think most people would be reasonable, but do you think that most of the stuff that we get or that gets pushed out doesn't is kind of unfairly pushed out without giving a lot of the background information? Or do you guys feel that a lot of that is... No, short answer, I would agree with what you said. Um, and, and some of it is would be blamed on just the, the nature uh, you know, of, of media where, you know, unless you're on a podcast where you're having a conversation, yeah. people are seeing it raw and uncut. You're, you know, you're, you're getting a reporter's interpretation of what they think they heard you say. Um, in their own context with their own filter and or then, want, want you to or, or yeah. like I said maybe they yeah. have a bias or but yeah. it could be completely innocent they're also constrained by how many inches of a column they have and so you might say 10 things and they may pick up on two things that sounded kind of clever and they write them and mm-hmm. you did say them and they're true but they're taken out of context and you're not you're, only, you're not seeing the whole picture and that, so some of that some of that is um you know some of that is the uh, the you know the, the nature of it but um, the other thing, though, is that in politics, uh, you know, the uh, the majority controls the agenda and what's on the agenda. And so, like, a lot of times you'll hear so-and-so voted against this. Mm-hmm. And you, how could you vote against, you know, like, I won't use a state example. I'll use a, an, a federal example of burn pit, uh, you know, research in Afghanistan for our troops. Anyone that voted against that, you don't like the troops. Well, really, I mean, that doesn't yeah. just pass the common sense test. What else is in the bill? And then when you look at, oh, well, you know, it also did X, Y, and Z, and we're all opposed to X, Y, and Z. Well, that's why I voted against, you know, uh, that thing that everyone likes. And so uh, that's sometimes done intentionally to be able to say in a campaign, that person voted against mom and apple pie. Well, yeah, if, if so, a lot of the bills that come out, they're not all necessarily that, that one topic. There's multiple Correct. things hit, kind of, I say hidden in the bill, but pushed in the backside of the bill that we never actually get to, you know, wouldn't really come out. But I'm assuming it's like a, a uh, not like a winner take all, but if you vote for it, everything passes. So the state budget is a classic example. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I have, I have chirped about this for 10 years in the legislature now to all the other media. You know, I do it on my Facebook. One of the, I like social media because, then I get to, you know, say this is what I think with, you know, and, and I can lay out my reasoning. But, you know, again, when you're talking to a newspaper reporter or a television reporter, um, you know, I've been consistent in this. And every once in a while they make reference to it. But to your point, the state of New York's budget, $224 billion. Now, first of all, you start with that. Is that a lot of money? Sure it is. Well, everyone knows, well, there's 19 million New Yorkers. Of course, it's going to be in the tens of billions of dollars, right? So, you know, if you just tell the average person it's $224 billion, they're like, wow, that's a lot of money, but it's a big state. But then when you you start asking other questions, like, well, compare that to other states. And you say, well, New York's budget is more than Texas and Florida's combined. And Texas and Florida both have more people than New York. Now people start saying, whoa, you know, what's going on with that budget? So my point, though, is that we do a budget on April 1st. Most people are familiar with the school budget, right? You go in and the voter gets a chance to vote in May on the budget. Yes or no, that's it. Um, your town boards or your county boards or your city city council, they have a budget. It's one vote. In New York, that $224 billion budget is broken into 10 different bills. And in addition to the, the spending, the financial aspect of it, all kinds of policy gets put into 
these bills. So that's where a lot of your controversial stuff like bail reform, bail reform was initially done as part of the budget. That has, you know, that has very little to do with the budget. It's a, it's a, it's a correction of public safety policy issue, but they put these other policy issues into the budget to get them done. You know, they use the money that's in the budget as leverage to get yes votes. So there's a lot of great stuff that goes in a budget, but you know, you're going to put uh, a couple years ago, $2.4 billion in a budget bill for unemployment for illegal immigrants. Guess what? There's going to be a lot of legislators, a lot of upstate legislators yeah. that are opposed to that. And then you, you you put that in the budget bill and you say you look at what other good stuff's in that bill. And does that do you want to vote yes on the good stuff and also this unemployment money? Or are you going to vote no on the good stuff because of the unemployment money? So, but again, it'll all go back to there'll be a campaign and somebody will say Dan Steck voted against this great thing. Yeah, because it was put in with some awful stuff. Yeah, but if you're in politics, if you're explaining, you're losing. Yeah, right. That's the old adage. Yeah. So that's the game that gets played. I think a lot of people take your. I mean, you know, really, you know, somebody is a, you know, how they think, and they're they're generally a conservative person or a or a liberal person. But you know, to to you know, to suggest that anybody in these things is against public safety or against our troops. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's never that simple. But that's the game. I. Uh... There, there was someone that I, I, I heard this secondhand account. So someone you know that would have said this, but they ended up saying that everybody wants to get stuff done the correct way. Everybody cares, but they just have a different way of going about it. And I think that's the, the idea of politics that everybody wants like a better country, a better you know state, better towns, whatever. But just everybody has different ideologies about how that's actually going to come together. And I find how is it at the state level because you see like the national level seems like a circus and then when you get further down sometimes you could have that on like local levels but most of the time local levels i find are a little more civil and i find there's more um there's more agreement amongst even if you have a different letter in front of your name i feel that most people they we live in the same area same town drive the same streets like there's a lot more similarities how do you find at the state level dealing with long island and rochester and you know i mean you it's it's quite different new york's a very diverse uh it is, and I think all over the, the place. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, the the higher up you go, the more you're picking a philosophy or a team, if you pardon the expression, because I don't. And higher up, meaning more to the federal. Yeah, level. to the federal level, yeah. where the issues become more partisan, more divided, more you know, uh, uh, more divided. And as a, at the local level, whether you're Republican or Democrat, everyone wants the street plowed. They want the stop signs, you know, you know, fixed. And, you know, I mean, th- these are nonpartisan issues at the local level. And I think state level of government um, is a little more in between. But, you know, certainly in a state the size of New York, we're going to tend we're going to drift more towards that partisan divide. Now, with that said, you know, the, um, I. I, I want to assure people that I do believe the vast majority of my colleagues in both houses and both sides of the aisle are good people. They mean well. They believe in what they're doing. They think what they're doing is right. They want generally the same things. And there's, you know, I mean, if we vote on a thousand bills a year in the assembly, you know, there's probably 940 of them that are not controversial and pass almost unanimously. It's a handful of important bills, you know, but but most of the work that we do is is not, you know, well, you say blue, so I say red. Um, but that's what comes out in the press, you know. I mean, yeah. the the boring, you know, vanilla stuff doesn't attract anyone's attention. But there's a lot of important stuff that gets done. That's it's just not controversial, so it's not written about. Do you think there's um, any places in the state that because you always talk about like po- population, like obviously New York City's got a massive population, and um, how many how many 
uh, seats are from New York City in the boroughs? About half. You know, if there's 63 wow, senators okay. and there's uh, 150 assembly members, about half of each chamber is from one of the five boroughs. Wow. Okay. And then you, then again, you roll in the rest of uh, Nassau County yep. and 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 Westchester County, and then you throw in Erie County. You know, now you're talking two thirds of the legislature is coming from that part of the state. So it is a um, a very urban. You know, again, the the system, democracy. You know, one person, one vote. Yeah. Nine million people are going to demand a lot of attention, right? I mean, you you can't ignore nine million nine million people. Um, you know, so uh, but my job, I view, is that to make sure that when appropriate, every chance that I get, I need to remind them it's not always a one size fits all approach that you may have an issue in New York City. We may not have the issue upstate um, or we may have the same issue, but your solution in New York City isn't going to work upstate, you know, and, and you can't have a one size fits all approach. Um, I mean, sometimes you have to for consistency and fairness sake, you got to do it the same way. But, you know, the idea that, you know, uh, you know, guns was a big example. You know, in New York City, they have a different experience um, with firearms mm -hmm. than the rest of the state does. Um, and so I thought, you know, one of the things that I know irritated a lot of people in the North Country was that the will, the vision, the perspective on the Second Amendment uh, was dictated to the rest of the state by the numbers that were coming out of New York City because they have half the representation it's very frustrating uh, to have that conversation. And again, these are difficult, you know, when you are pushing uh, uh, gun legislation after a tragedy, after, yeah. after a shooting, that, that's a hard argument to have, you know, to, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to hold up the Second Amendment because you, you're, you got people saying, look at the shooting that just happened. So the politics are different. The emotions are there. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it can be frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a few on the national scale recently that have come up that that being one of them we just i mean you see it and like anytime you have a, a shooting it's a tragedy tragedy and nobody like for no one wants ever, yeah no, nobody really, wants gun violence yeah nobody and, and, and i don't think that's the that's never the thing that comes up is that you know you're okay with gun like gun violence right. like no like, well every once in a while there'll be people that'll say well you like gun violence you know i mean that's just yeah, yeah it's hard it's, to have a conversation with that person yeah i was gonna say so i guess kind of going back so you your dad was a forest ranger yep so and, and i know kind of doing some research in here you know hearing some stuff that you've done before but like Obviously, you know, you having the background of a forest ranger and yep. you were an Eagle Scout? I, no, my son's an Eagle Scout. I'm, okay. a, I'm, a, I'm a 46er though. Okay, 46er. So I think I knew your son was an Eagle Scout. Yep. I followed you on, on uh, Instagram and I know you hike a lot. So, yep. But you're, you're out and about and, in the, in, you know, do you hunt or anything like that or have you? Because past? I took up hiking. I, I gave up hunting. I just okay. there's only so many hours in the day, yeah, that's right. so I haven't sat in the woods with a gun for for a while now. But uh, you know, the nicest uh, buck that I ever took was a ten pointer, and I'll, I will never see a buck that big again. Where so was that at? on West Mountain in Queensbury. Yeah, you know, right, you know, right in where I grew up. I took uh, when I was I think it was town supervisor. It was after I got out of the Navy, and uh, and uh, I didn't know that you know like I'm not a student. Like some people, they know they got the trail cams. They know exactly. Oh. They can name all the deer that you know. By, they give them names. And uh, me, I just, I knew there were deer in there yeah. and I just went there. I sat down and all of a sudden, so I did not have any idea that there was a 10 pointer in there that day. I was shocked to see him and, uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, well, yeah, but it's been a while since I've, I've, I've I do mostly hiking. Now. So, so the, uh, 
so I guess like the outdoors aspect of it was that instilled in you as a young age, or yeah, at a young age. Yeah, well, so you know, my dad, uh, my dad's, my mom and dad's place was on five acres on the side of West Mountain, and across the street from where where I grew up was you know thousands of acres of woods. So as a kid, I was wandering all over those woods. That's where I would play, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it, it made it easy for me as a kid. And again, my dad, uh, he owned some woodlots, so he supplemented the family income with firewood. One of the funny things that my again back to I have a lot of my dad is a really interesting cat. Um, he uh, he would tell people again he was fascinated by me and, and nuclear power, and so he would talk about me. I would help him splitting firewood. I, when I first started running for office uh, in uh, for town board, um, I was knocking on doors a lot of garages that I had stacked firewood as a kid, helping my father deliver it. And a lot of people would say, I know you're you know are you George's son? Yeah, that's my dad. He used to deliver firewood. I go, yeah, did he have a kid with him? Yeah, he did. That was me. So my dad would, so I, you know, that's, I, that's how I was known in town. And uh, my, my dad would tell people, he started off splitting firewood and he ended splitting atoms. <laughs> so that's my dad. <laughs> I, I like it, though. The, uh, have you ever split atoms? Is that, well, that nuclear was, power. That was yeah. part of it? Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you were, oh, yeah. you were in there? My job was to keep the hot rock cool. Okay, I like that. Um, so the... Uh, <laughs> So stacking firewood. So when when you get to, um, were, were you a Boy Scout at all? No, I never did. You know, so when I get asked that question, I said, you know, I, my dad was a force ranger. I had my own program. <laughs> my dad, my dad's program. You know, but you know, just t- time in the woods on his woodlot or hunting with him. Um, and then as I got older, you know, a little bit of hiking. But uh, you know, I was never in the Boy Scouts. I always uh, I always find it fascinating too with the the Adirondacks, like the history of the Adirondacks, especially the history when you start going to like the presidential history of just people that travel to the Adirondacks. I think it was uh, Teddy Roosevelt became president in the Adirondacks. Correct. So he was hunting on the side of um, a Mount Marcy in Essex County when McKinley was shot in 1920. Yep. And uh, and so they notified him the president was shot, and they took him off of uh, off of Marcy, and he made his way. Um, to North Creek to catch the train in North Creek. So it's a big deal in Essex County and a, and a really big deal in North Creek that that's where now, then he started making his way. I, I, he to didn't Buffalo, be, right? He had to to Buffalo. And that's, and by the time he got to Buffalo, president McKinley had passed. So he, uh, he was informed of the shooting, but he didn't become president in the Adirondacks, but he was in the Adirondacks hunting when McKinley was shot. That's wild. Yeah. The, uh, so your, so the hiking, where did the hiking come out? Like, you know, when did that start? Because I, I, I do see most of the photos you're hiking or you're You do winter hikes too. Oh yeah. So, um, all right. So, uh, about, well, I did the 46 in 2011. Um, I had lost a lot of weight, uh, in, uh, in early 2011 or, okay. uh, 2010, 2011. And, uh, when I got down to a weight that I was more comfortable with, I wanted to make some changes, you know, habits and, you know, to try to keep the weight Lifestyle off. Changes. You, you work, you work so hard to, and I had a friend of mine that's like, you know, you ought to get into hiking. And I had done a little bit as a kid, but I never really got into it. And so, um, I, I, I did, I, that's where I took it up. Um, and, uh, I did the 46 in six months. I started in May and I finished in November. So everyone's like, wow. wow. I go, yeah, it was 24 hikes, you know, to get the, to get the 46. And I say, you know those headlamps that you hike with? And everyone's like, yeah. I go, you can mow the lawn with them too. Because, I mean, I was like every every good weather day, you know, every weekend I was going hiking. And you still had a lawn to take care of. So I, was, I tell everyone I was mowing the lawn at night. The uh, I've done two. I did, uh, what's, 
Cascade, Cascade Porter. Cascade Porter, you got there it. You yeah. go. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> when they say they did two. You said two. I'm like, oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. You, and then all the you know the locals will roll their eyes. They're like, oh, so you're one of those cars that's screwing up traffic on Route 73. That's yeah. Well, I, I don't even know who brought it. So this is the thing with hiking. I, I want to. Why do you hike? What's what's the benefit? I, you, know, you know, well, cardiovascular. I mean, it's just great exercise. Um, you know, the idea of running on the road and banging your your knees and your feet on asphalt, you know, with traffic just doesn't appeal to me. Um, I don't like to run anyways. I would rather walk. And if I'm going to walk, I'd rather see something. And then plus, I think also for me, I'm like a, you know, I think a lot of hikers are type A kind of list people. Yep. And, uh, um, you know, so you give somebody a list. Here's the 46. Now, when I was doing the 46, I wasn't interested. And it's funny because um, 46ers will kid each other about this. You get into the 46 and then you're like, that's all you'll hike until you finish the 46. And so like all these other people are like, hey, we're going to go hike Blue Mountain or hey, we're going to go hike this. And you're like, no, I'm hiking a 46. That's a lawn mowing day. <laughs> you, you, tell, you tell people no until you finish the 46 and then you're like liberated to go hike other stuff. Yeah, the, what, like Saranac Lake, six, the six. I, so I've done, I've, uh, I'm, wor- I'm working on my winter 46 now. I say working on because I've slowed right down on it, but I've done 29 of the, of the high peaks in the winter. But there's a Saranac Lake 6. I've yep. done that regular in winter. There's a Lake Placid 9. I've done summer and winter. There's a Lake George 12, summer and winter. Okay. There's a Tupper Lake Triad, summer and winter. There's the Fire Tower, summer and winter. I've done all those lists. So I'm like, give me a new list. But now the lists are coming out so fast. I'm like, I can't keep up. So what, what what's more to do? Like if they're... I mean, obviously the winter 46. Yeah, the winter 46. I mean, you, well, if you really want to get into it, I got some friends that are, I think, I, I don't know how you, how you could do it. They're, they're insane. Um, they, they do hike the, uh, the grid, which means you do all 46 in each of the 12 months. So 46 times 12, that's a lot of hiking. Do wow. all 46 in January and all 46 you in February. You have to do them within the month? Do each one in, like in you a had month. Like a big chart. Yeah, like, big I'm, chart. The forty six on one side, January, February through through December. You don't necessarily have to do all forty six within a month. Oh no. Okay. No. So it's like over Marcy time. has to be all twelve. Right. So it might take you twenty years to gotcha. get, catch all twelve oh. months. But that's a lot of hype. I mean, I'll never do that. Like I said, there's some list list are things that I'd like to do. And now you're starting to get into backpacking. I the Northville Placid Trail. Okay. Is something that I feel like, you know that I'd like to do the Cranberry Lake 50, 50 miles yeah. around Cranberry. I'd love to do those. Those are two long backpacking hikes. I'd, I'd like to do someday. Um, there's Catskills. You can go down the Catskills and there's the 3,500 club down there. Have you hiked any down there? Uh, just a couple. You know, I've the, there's five fire towers down there. I've done uh, Slide Mountain too, and I've done the five uh, over four thousand in Vermont. So how many fi- how many fire towers are in this, uh, of the forty six? There are no fire towers that are so, one of the forty six. So, wh- so which ones are the fire towers? Because isn't is Poca Moonshine one? Poca Moonshine is a great hike because I've hiked that one multiple times. That's, that's a great hike. Yeah, and that's and got close a new by. trail. Oh yeah, it's really close here. That's yep. a great hike. A uh, Lion Mountain is a fire tower. Okay. Yep, there's a fire tower. So, right. so on the the and it's the Adirondack Mountain Club, the 80K. Okay. They they have a book and it's um their it's their hiking challenge is the the fire towers, and the rules are you have to do there's still because there used to be a lot more fire towers. They started taking them down while my father was a forest ranger. The state right in the forest preserve that's a non-conforming structure take them down. So the environment for a while there there was a big environmental push to remove any any site of the touch of man in the Adirondacks get rid of so there used to be a lot more fire towers and they've removed most of them but there are still today uh the number changes because they they've they've gotten public access to a few now but there's 25 fire towers in the Adirondacks and five in the Catskills 
And, okay. and so in order to do the, uh, but there were some that they were going to remove. So the hiking challenge for the fire tower is you need to do 18 out of the 25 in the Adirondacks, any 18, and then all five in the Catskills. So that, that's the challenge now. And you have done that or you've done? I've done that. Yeah. I've, well, so I did the fire towers and then I did the fire towers again in the winter. And then I did the fire towers with my son. So I've done most of the fire towers three times. So, um, now, are you still trying to actively do this while while you're doing like this kind of your so, getaway and the kind of your, yeah? Well, your piece? so the uh, so the last four months I didn't do a whole lot of hiking because I was hiking door for, to door. Yeah. I, was, I was hiking door to door and 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 interview to interview and and uh, cocktail reception to cocktail yep. reception. So um, and parade to parade. Uh, so I haven't been hiking. You know, I didn't do a lot of hiking uh, this year. And I'm feeling it now, you know, I was like, I got to get back in shape, you know, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to try to, you know, do that again. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just enjoy being outside, you know, I mean, it's great. I tell you, you know, but politically, it gives me a lot of credit, credibility in Albany. Everyone in Albany knows that I'm a hiker. Every, the, the, the second floor knows, DEC knows. I have, you know, I'm the ranking member on the Environmental Conservation Committee. I have been both in the Assembly and the Senate. So I've been working closely with DEC. They all know that I'm the son of a retired forest ranger. This forest ranger community is small and everybody loves the rangers. It's a nonpartisan issue. Everybody likes the rangers and everybody knows that my dad was a forest ranger um, and that I'm a hiker. So, you know, uh, but yet there's a lot of issues in the Adirondacks and the environmentalists and the the property owners and the the local governments, they always don't agree. But when I'm at the table, everybody knows wherever we're talking about, there's a good chance I've been there and I've seen it firsthand. And so, you know, it just gives you a little, you know, credibility. They know that I know what I'm talking about. Now, they still may not always agree, but they know that they're not going to kid me and and that I, you know, and that I know what I'm talking yeah, about. You got some footprints up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, so the, the hiking... Uh, I've only hiked a little bit, but like not anywhere near yours, but uh, your man, not even close. Like I said, I got I got two of the high peaks, and I did them on the same day, which they're, I think right. they're I don't even know they're like half a well, mile. When apart. I did when I did the forty six, that's I started with Cascade and Porter. Yeah, because you like go up, and the other one's like half a mile. Oh yeah, that you're way. nuts to not do Porter. You yeah, know? Cascade. You know, and again, Cascade. Everyone. Well, what happens? People roll into Lake Placid, right? They ask the person at the store, or they ask the person in the restaurant, or they ask somebody at the front desk of the hotel, "Hey, what's the easiest high peak to go do?" And everybody that lives there knows Cascade. It's close to the road. It's the shortest one. But you know, just because it's easy and close and a short hike, and well, it's not easy, but I mean, it's easy compared to the rest of them. But it's it's everyone would agree. It's got one of the best views in the park. Well, I was going to ask, what's your favorite? Because Cascade's yeah. the one with all the rocks on the top, right? Cascade's got a wide open summit. And, yeah. and and from Cascade, I can't remember the numbers, something crazy like you can see 31 of the 46 from Cascade. I mean, that's it, a great view. But I always, everyone, when you start talking to 46ers, they'll say, what was your favorite? What did you finish on? So, like my favorite, you know, I had, favorite means view or favorite just trail in general. Well, you know, I, I it, people will like your favorite, favorite for a different reason. Yeah, you know, but I, um, I thought the view and the hike for Haystack was my favorite. Okay. And I've only done Haystack once. It's a long hike. It's an eighteen mile hike. I caught it in the third week in September, and actually in the high peaks, they were actually past peak foliage. But the foliage was still great, and it was a gorgeous weather day. I mean, you know, maybe if I catch that on another bad weather day, maybe it's my least favorite. But when I was there, Cass, I tell everyone, um, 
Haystack was my favorite. And then I finished on Allen. And most people that have done them, they'll laugh because a lot of people finish on Allen and they'll tell them about me. You know what that makes me? A procrastinator. Because everyone put, you know, every, Allen has his reputation for being like a slog. It's, a, it's another 18-mile hike. It, and a lot of people say it doesn't have a great view. It does in the winter. If you get up on, the, on top of the snow, it's got an awesome view. But um, the day that I did it, I did it in November. That's the one I finished on. And because I put it off, you know, like, oh, it's so long and it's so miserable. I mean, you just hear negative things about it. But um, I mean, a lot of people try to save white face for the last one because then their family can drive to the top and, yeah. you know, and, and meet them and celebrate with them. Um, but you still have to hike it down. It doesn't count if you ride the car. Down. <laughs> what? Uh, so out of all of them, which like what's the longest one? Because the highest is Marcy, but it's not necessarily the longest, or is Correct. it? Correct. No, Marcy, uh, the, the most common route to Marcy is about 16 miles. Okay. Um, you know, the, there's a few of them. And again, depending on what loop you do, I mean, if you're going in there and you're, I'm going to do the whole great range, I mean, I don't know what that distance is. But as far as like how most people approach the 46, 18, 19 miles is about the longest hike as you, you'll do. Um, what was the hardest hike for you that you felt was like the most challenging? You know, I mean... A lot of them were about the same. I mean, Allen was a tough one. Um, uh, Marcy Gray and Skylight, a lot of people do those three together, and that's another 18-mile day. I did that the day before Irene hit. So I remember oh. standing on top of Marcy and looking south, and you could see the bank of clouds coming up. I mean, it was like you know, just a wall of clouds in, to the south. Oh. And uh, so obviously Irene uh, damaged a lot of the Adirondacks, including the dam at Marcy Dam, um, and now they've removed the dam now. But So I was like literally one of the last sets of boots that walked across Marcy Dam before it got damaged. But now, you know, there's just a few that are, are you know, like the Santanonis has a reputation for being, and that's about a 16 mile day, but it's a lot of up and down. So, you know, there's a lot of elevation gain in the Santanonis. That was a tough day. Which one, which mountain's that? The Santanonis. So that's Santanoni, uh, Caraga. A lot of people just call it Cooch. Okay. And, uh, and Panther. Those are the three mountains that are in there. You access them off of the, uh, upper works to Taz. How, uh, how, I was going to say, how many can you do in one, how many of the mountains can be combined in one trip or does that not count? It, de it depends on how fit you are and what time you start. I mean, like, you know, some of these hikers, you know, they've, you know, I think the record now for finishing them all is four days. Most, at, most normal people, uh, uh five, the, there's five in the Dick's range. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're really fit and you want to get five in a day, you can do that. And that's probably the most. But like Cascade Porter, you can do on one trip. Is there yeah. a lot that are like that? Yeah, like I said, so for me to do the 20, I counted, I, you know, I took a good, I kept a really good log when I did these. And um, for me to get the 46, uh, um, it was 24 different hikes. 24, okay. So, so you know, on average, you're going to average about two to a hike. You know, sometimes okay. you get three, sometimes you only get one. So you go up kind of like Cascade Porter. You hit one, go oh, back yeah. down, go back up. Well, it's like one. the, the Santanonis, you know, you're nuts to not do all three together. Or um, Calvin and Blake. You know, the, the really the only way I'll say only it'll be somebody will say, that's not true. You can go there another way. The only way that most people do Blake is up and over Colvin. Okay. So, you know, if you're on Colvin, then you got to go down to get Blake and then you got to come back up over Colvin to get back to your car. Um, but you know, I mean, if you're on Colvin, you, you got to go out and, and get Blake. Um, so is it, is there any like stipulation as to what trail you do or like you can do that and it would still count as long as you physically hit the top of each peak? It doesn't matter yep. how many times it takes you to go like Cascade Porter would still count as two, yep. even if you took one trip up. Correct. But they, they don't care which trail you actually take. Nope. Nope. And, um, uh, I, you know, they prefer you to stay on the trails. Um, but you know, every once in a while, uh, you know, you get, you know, there's some people that have like bushwhacked all 46. 
you know, just didn't want to use the trail. I just, why would you do that to yourself? There's a friend that I know that she, her brother, who's like kind of like an endurance kind of guy, Mm -hmm. was attempting to do all of them in a week, but via bushwhacking. Yeah. So like we go, you know what I mean? Bushwhacking. I just, I don't, again, I don't know if he ever, he did like some like ultra marathon races, like over like the Sahara desert and all these crazy things. So I'm like, he probably did do it, but that just seems... That seems crazy because the, the forests are dense. I mean, the Adirondacks are dense. Dense. Uh... You get off the trail and some of those, the blowdown, and it's just so thick. I mean, it really, you know, uh, it, 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 yeah, I can't imagine doing it. Have you ever gotten lost in the woods? Um, I wouldn't say lost. There's a couple times you lose a trail and you're, you know, um, like in the Dix Range up on top there, uh, there's a lot of herd pass and it's not always, they're not marked and it's not always clear which one, you know, goes where. Um, but, uh you know, if you, you're supposed to, they don't want you going in there, you should bring a map and a compass. I mean, that's another problem that's going on right now is there's just, you know, so many people in the Adirondacks hiking right now. Every year since I finished, they've set a new record for number of finishers of the 46. And I'm not picking on the 46ers, but I think there's a correlation that every year, if more people are finishing the 46, that means just in general, every year there are more people hiking in the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. But and uh, the rangers are doing more and more rescues, and uh, you know then you hear about these one or two rescues a year that you're like, what was that person thinking? They were completely in over their head. They weren't prepared. They weren't wearing the right footwear. How could you go in there not having you know rain gear and all that stuff? And you hear, hear about a rescue that costs a lot of money, mm-hmm. puts a lot of other people at risk. It's just um, a girl in New Hampshire. And people get angry when they when they hear that, you know. And then there's a debate over whether or not we should, you know, charge them for the rescue and all that. And um, but uh, you know the um, you know the idea of uh, uh, we've got more and more people that are not prepared. So they're always trying to preach, you know, hey, you gotta you gotta be prepared for the weather. You gotta know where you're going. You gotta always let somebody know where you're going, when to expect you back. Cell service is spotty in the, in the North Country. You can't count on that flashlight on your cell phone if you need a flashlight. You know, flashlight. You got to bring the headlamp with you. Oh, I'm only going to be in there for four hours. What if something happens? What if you get lost? What if you get hurt? You know, now you've you got to be prepared to spend the night in the woods. So DEC and a lot of hiking groups, the 46ers, the Mountain Club, you know, they've all done a great job trying to educate the public. But like anything else, you know, you're going to educate people and you're going to catch most of them, but not all of them. And there's always going to be somebody that's going to go in and you're going to like, what, what were you doing, you know, wearing sneakers in February on uh, in the high peaks? I mean, that's just looking for trouble. Yeah, I no, I agree. I mean, again, I'm I'm guilty of like when I went, I went with like a group of people. It was middle of the day, kind of. I think it was in the summer too. So, um, but you you do see that, especially in the winter when you go out, and it's like if you're on the winter with not proper in the middle of the Adirondacks without the proper footwear or just warm clothes, like that's well, a lot of time people I, ask, uh, you know, what what do you like better? What's easier, summer or winter? And and the answer, well, on the one hand, in the summer. It's not an end of the world if you end up spending the night in the woods in the summer, mm-hmm. um, and you got more daylight. But the yeah. but the, what's the pluses on winter? Nobody's all, out there. <laughs> all the, well, if if you're looking for fewer people, you're going to be happier in the winter. But you know, with enough snowpack, all the roots and rocks and mud is covered, and and that that packed uh, uh, snowshoe trail, it's like walking on a sidewalk. I mean, it's just it's it's smoothed out. So uh-huh. all the you know because that's one of the you know the rundowns on on a lot of these trails are eroded, and you're always being careful where you're putting your foot because of roots and rocks and all that. So in a lot of ways, um, the, the winter is easier. And of course, then there's also the value of the butt slide, you know, where you can, you sit down and you you can really come down a mountain really fast when you're sliding. Um, have you ever skied down the mountain? I'm not a skier, you know, I mean, I grew up, okay. I grew up, uh, you know, like three miles from West mountain ski. I took ski lessons, um, 
uh, one winter while I was in high school. And then the, uh, the only other two times that I was skiing is once when I was in the Navy and I was stationed in Saratoga, a um, bunch of my ski friends in the Navy said, you're from here. Why don't you come with us and go to Gore Mountain? So I skied Gore Mountain once when I was like in my 20s. And then two winters ago, I, I got up to Titus Mountain, and I skied at Titus. Okay. And I'll be t- Titus is more my speed. It's yeah. you know, it's not. It's a good family it's friendly. A, yeah, it's it's a it's a novice friendly. You know, for me, I said they, there's not no snow company wants to fill my divot. You know, <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. Did you play basketball? I, you know, pick up basketball. You know, I was I played high school. I was football and track. I did shot and disc. Because how how tall are you? A little over six four. Yeah, I was gonna say you're you're you're, you're tall. I figured you could be a center somewhere. So, um, so when it comes down to back to like committee assignments, so yep. obviously the Environmental Conservation Committee, Children and Families Committee, right. and ranking member. Does that mean you're the head? Of I'm, the, I'm the senior Republican on those committees. So that, would there be two, or would it just be whoever? Has well, the there's a chair. The, the majority is, has the chair. Majority, okay. and then the then the minority um, would be have the ranking member. So I, you know, then that's I'm like the uh, the chair talks to me about as far as coordinating. Uh, you know, you know, issues or, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm the head Republican on those committees. And then, and then you have the bank yep. education and health committee. Yep. Is there any of those that stick out that you really like doing or is that, are they well, all? The NCON one is, is by far my, you know, you, know, you know, it's, it's who I am between yeah. my personal interest, the district I represent and my family heritage. Yeah. You know, just, uh, you know, the NCON committee is, is, uh, uh my favorite committee for sure. And how, how do you get picked to be on these so when uh, when you get elected, like as a matter of fact, shortly after this election, I got uh, contacted from our conference, our leadership, um, with a with a form, and they said, "Hey, um, what are your top legislative priorities that you'd like to work on this year? Um, what committees do you want to be on? You know, rank them." So you put that in, and then the leadership goes through, and you know they're trying to keep 20 or 30 people happy, you know, and, and with their committee assignments and, you know, n- not everyone could be on the rules committee, you know, so, the, you know, seniority plays in, but, you know, I think the leadership looks at, uh, you know, what, what's good in your district. Like, um, I did ask to be put on, uh, on my leadership to be put on corrections this year. I got a lot of correctional facilities in my district and, uh, you, know, you know, just, it's a good fit. I've never been on the corrections facility. So I, I asked that I, 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 think that they'll probably look at that and, and if there's an opening and I think there are a couple openings because of turnover mm-hmm. um, that I, I might get added to that so that would be a good one for me to get added to um, I expressed interest in energy because the new part of my district now is the uh, the power authority of Messina uh, oh, okay. you know and that's a that's a big deal so and again and I have a energy background um, so I but I've never been on the energy committee before so and you're, you're, you're still from Queensbury. You still live in Queensbury? Correct. So, like, I mean, there's some long days. Like, Messina to Queensbury. It's I mean, a hall. Yeah, it's yeah. a hall. So, uh, and again, I mean, I grew up in Queensbury, and I went to school at Clarkson uh, in Potsdam, yep. which wasn't in the current Senate district, but it is in the new district. And so I know, you know, Queensbury to Potsdam is three hours almost on the on the dot and uh you go to machina and it's another 15 minutes beyond that so i mean yeah the the long i live in the southern edge of the district so to the northwest corner is the long haul for i was, was going to say i was looking at the district i mean i don't know how they come up with the district it looks like someone like a kid took a sharpie and just kind of started <laughs> kind of uh, i like to think it was more to it than that but you never but, know <laughs> well there's probably more thought to it <laughs> yeah. but you look at it and like you go down like yeah, you're you're pretty much right I mean, it's almost albany to all the way up so yeah. um now I, I was I was doing some research and I heard that you actually quoted this. But since you've been alive, you were the third yeah. senator to represent this district. Yep. So obviously, 
Ron, or Senator Stafford and yep. Senator Little have been. Well, I mean, Little's. I don't. When did Stafford and oh, Little might have been well, my entire uh, year? Well, for my l- entire life. No, no. You're. Uh, she had it for 18 years. She, oh, so he was. So I think when you were a little kid, a little kid, little yeah. kid, you had Ron Stafford. Yeah. And I got to tell you, you know, I mean, that's not lost on me either. I mean, as far as you know, look, uh, times change, and uh, you know, the situation in Albany changes. You know, Ron Stafford was in the majority, you know, his entire career, I'm sure. And, and Betty was in the majority most of the time. Um, now, you know, so you know, the politics of the, of the state have changed over time, but still it's just, it's very, I'm very mindful that, Hey, the two people before me, the, my entire life before, you know, before I got to the Senate was Ron Stafford and Betty Little. I, I mean, they are Two, they were both revered, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I never worked with Ron Stafford. Uh, my overlap in politics, you know, I got out of the Navy and moved back home. He was the senator for a couple of years. I was just getting started in local government while he was senator, so I met him a handful of times. I've met his wife, Kay, Kay uh, several times. I'm Facebook friends with her, but um, you know, uh, you know, but I, I know how revered ron stafford is certainly in in clinton county mm-hmm. and uh and then you know growing up in warren county and knowing betty my whole life because she was also from warren county and and being you know getting my start in politics while she was in the assembly and then the senate she was like that um example of that mentor to me i always t- tease her i was like you know whether you wanted to be or not you're my mentor um but uh you know and seeing how they did the job especially betty because i worked most closely with her um that that's, you know, what is our public expected their elected officials? You know, both of them were professional at all times. They were good, rock-solid Republicans. You know, they, you know, they were representing their constituents. Um, they were firm where they needed to be firm, but they had a nice way about them, a professional way. Uh, they were honest and direct. I mean, they were everything that you'd want in an elected official. And uh, so I've always tried to model myself. Now, it's funny, too, because, I mean, I compare myself to Senator Little. Um, you know, I'm a bigger guy. I'm a guy. I've and seen I'm, a I'm bigger. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, know, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, you, know, you know, to look at us, you know, you might not say there's a lot in common. Um, uh, but, you know, I mean, I'm mindful that, hey, she's represented this district for 18 years. People are used to her and her approach. Now, my approach, I don't think, is significantly different than hers. Um, but my personality, I'm, a, I'm, I'm louder. I'm, you know, I mean, I've got a deep voice. I'm a big guy. Um, you know, and uh, I was a sailor. Right? You know, so I'll use that when I play the sailor card every once in a while. I say, sorry, I'm a little rough. I was a sailor. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, you know, that she, you know her, but she, the amount of effort she put into everything. She went to everything. She talked to everybody. She tried to help everybody. I'm the same. I try to be the same way. I believe I'm the same way. Um, but, you know, I mean, now I'm in the minority, so I'm catching instead of pitching. And, uh, and so it's a different, you know, I, we're in a position now where I've got to, I've got to have fights with, you know, the other side and the, and the executive because they're, they're taking in a direction. Whereas when she was in the majority, they weren't doing the gun bills. They weren't doing the, the uh, bail reform and all the criminal justice crazy stuff that everyone's mad about. So, you know, I mean, the situation that I'm in is different. But I'm still, you always, you know, you want to be professional. You know, I don't want to ever have a constituent say, I can't stand the way that he communicates, you know. So they may not agree with my content, but I don't want anyone to say he was rude, he was a jerk, you know, just uh, life's too short. And I don't need yeah. to be like that. Um, I'm assuming you still have 
regular contact with uh, Senator yeah. Little. Like yeah. I'm sure she's still, like I said, a mentor or still yeah. someone you could tap tap the shoulder to. Absolutely. She probably just doesn't want to travel and deal with anything anymore, but I'm sure she's fine with an opinion or help. She's very, you know, she's keeping very active. Uh, you know, she hasn't really slowed down a whole lot. She's still involved with Orta and, okay. uh, you know, and she's made a big difference in Orta when she was elected official. I know she's got a lot of passion for it. So it's great that she's still engaged and involved because she's got a lot of knowledge there and, and passion and energy for it. Um, but she's, you know, she's still in town. So I see her, her regularly running her and stuff. Um, I felt bad for her because, because of COVID she was denied that Derek Jeter final year tour, you know, um, she didn't get that, you know, and, and, and not that she would want it. She would she would never want it, yeah. but she did deserve it. And there were a lot of people that wanted to give her a send off and thank her. And, uh, COVID just put the kibosh to that. But I, uh, you know, I, I do think, cause you know, I mean, when it's time to say, all right, I'm going to retire, whether you're a football player or a politician or a lawyer or a teacher, you know, when do you say I've had enough and I'm going to retire? Cause it's hard to unring that bell. I mean, Brady might be able to do it, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's hard to unring that bell. And uh, once you've done it, you know, you, you could have some remorse. And I do think that between COVID and then the problems of governor Cuomo, I mean, Senator Little had a decent relationship with Cuomo. Mm -hmm. She got stuff done. She, you know, she, she could get things from him uh, as a Republican that maybe a lot of other people couldn't. Uh, so she had a very productive relationship with him. And I think that they did like each other on certain level. Um, and then for him to have his problems, yeah. I'm sure that she was glad that she wasn't there to, you know, have a reporter saying, hey, what do you think about Governor Cuomo this? You know, I mean, that's not her brand of baseball. She doesn't want to say he's a jerk and he should resign. I mean, he, yeah. I, maybe she felt that way, but that's, you know, she so I think I think between Cuomo and COVID, she's probably glad that she didn't have to deal with that. Well, it's, it's got to be tough too at that level if you know people at the personal level too and you're like they made a mistake totally get it but like yeah and, well and again i don't but just in general it's tough like everybody's friends make mistakes and do stuff and it's like it's not like you you want to trash the person especially on a public scale it's like yeah i mean you know and with with governor cuomo uh, you know i mean i think he in his case he went far beyond he made some mistakes yeah, i mean you know yeah. uh you know and as soon as he was gone that's where all the stories came out where everyone was talking about what a jerk he was right so yeah. um you know, but uh, but, you know, with that said, even if somebody is a jerk, if you got a working relationship with them and, you know, like, I, you know, I mean, you, you may say this person that I'm dealing with right now, I don't like him. But if your business with him is something that you're getting stuff done uh, and, and it's it's positive, you know, then there's there's a value to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I you know, and, and and Senator Little, you know, hard worker and people liked her because she was a straight shooter. And a hard worker and everyone respected her and uh, even people that disagree with her politically or and and in her case maybe she doesn't like somebody doesn't like i don't know what her personal opinion is of of governor cuomo but i knew that professionally she was able to work with him and uh you know and and do the you know do the uh, the business of her district how, how is it i mean how is it in the sense in new york i mean you go down like you said it's republican democrat you gotta you know um in this case a democratic governor you have you know you're in the minority like Day to day, is it easy to get stuff? I mean, you're working hand in hand with these people. I'm sure, yeah. I'm assuming on those committees, that's a bipartisan committees. There's yeah. Well, I so, mean, look, if I pull them aside and say, all right, look, we really got to sit down. We really got to undo bail reform. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when they're like, all right, thanks, Dan. You know, yeah, <laughs> we got this. You know, but the, you know, it, it, when there's other issues like, hey, I, you know, this is an issue in my district, and and here's my solution. You know, I I I, I when you're dealing with the press 
or when you're on the campaign, it's very easy to lay out the criticism and, and, and they're well-founded, right? But the other half of that is you have to have, all right, well, what do you want to do differently? You know, and that's not always, doesn't always come across in a newspaper article. It doesn't always come across in a campaign, but you know, down in Albany, uh, where one of the things I like about, uh, where I work is we all have a similar, we all represent the same number of people. Every Senator represents 320,000 New Yorkers. Um, and we all got there a similar way. You know, we understand the process, you know, you've got a campaign and you've got to get the petitions and you've got to buy lawn signs and you've got to raise money and you've got to do interviews and knock on doors and go to parades. We, so because we have that shared experience, I think we, we all understand where each other's coming from. So then, you know, if you have a good relationship with somebody and you could say, look, this is what's going on in my district. And you, and you give them the whole story. You don't just give them the half the story. You give them the whole story. You say, this is the issue. This is where some people are, are coming from. This is where other people are coming from. This is what I think the right solution is. Can you help me? You know, you can build on that and you can get stuff done. Now, in the minority, the game that gets played is a lot of times it'll be like, well, all right, so-and-so will carry that bill. You know, they, 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 you know they, it's an extra layer for Republicans uh, that, that, um, that they th throw on us. They'll steal our ideas. You know, we'll come up with a great idea and they'll know it's the great idea, but they don't want to give us credit for it. So then they'll borrow the idea. You know, it's I'll, I'll roll my eyes at it and uh, and I will deal with it election time. They'll say, oh, you know, the Democrats are the ones that are passing all the bills. They're make they're writing the rules of the game and they're the referees. I mean, they're, they're yeah. you know, they're going to feather their own nest. I understand that. But that's a system. And can you work within it or not? Um, there's a role for minority to play. I mean, if it wasn't for the minority. Andrew Cuomo might still be governor, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, so, you, you, you know, I, I don't go looking to pick fights just because somebody's not the same party as me. I mean, I'm, I wasn't, I was definitely not elected to do that, but I know that my constituents want me to stand up for what they want and what their priorities and values are. I know that in my district, they're, they're for law enforcement. I know in my district, by and large, they're for the second amendment. They're, they're against wasting money. They're against giving <laughs> $2.4 billion to illegal immigrants. They're largely not thrilled with a $600 million Buffalo Bill Stadium. <laughs> you know, I mean, so these are, you know, I mean, and, and, and I'm in tune with them, but my job is to go down there and make their case without making it personal or without being a jerk. You know, just be professional mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, and make, make the argument in a polite way. So, another, I mean, another thing, like right now, obviously our economy is like, in a rough patch right now you're seeing like inflation go up you're seeing you know i think i think some stuff doesn't hit every person you know for the mm -hmm. most part like you talk you know there's, there's a few things that you talk about corrections like that will help people that are tied to corrections but maybe someone out of the state but like everybody pretty much in the nation is getting hit somewhat with like inflation or somewhat right. with the you know thrown around the term recession but um, it's a market correction. I'm in real estate. We saw for two years, it went too crazy one way and you knew it had to correct and you knew it was just a matter of time. Right. Um, but when you look at, I always come from like a financial situation, like you're running your own business and you're trying to figure out, okay, like we got to cut here. We got to you know do stuff here. When I look at, you know, and I was reading this in one of the articles that you talked about too. It's like, instead of like keep raising the amount that we're spending, it's more about reallocating or being smart with the money that we're, you mentioned like a $600 stadium, million dollar stadium, yep. you know, if, if not saying that was right or wrong, but when right. you look at, you know, what's more important and how can you reallocate the funds when you talk about having this massive budget that we have, that's, you said right. is bigger than uh, Florida and Texas combined, right? Like where is all that money going? And then you also start looking at, and again, I'm in New York state, 
you know, the t- from a taxpaying perspective, we pay a ton in taxes relative to other states. And then right. it's kind of, you always wonder, it's like, okay, well, where's all this money going? Right. Or do you think that it's, you know, I guess in that sense, like, how do you think budget-wise stuff is going in? Yeah. What you said in the article made sense to me. It's like, you don't need to keep increasing the amount we get or spend. Right. It's more of like, are we spending it smartly? Which is kind of like anything else. Like when, when we're a small business and, and, you know, we look at, well, I call it like wasteful spending, but like kind of fluff spending. They're like, ah, eh, we could probably don't need that. So let's cut it because we want to be a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Responsible what we're spending right now. But then you look at like, you know, on the government level or like, do they, is that conscious or do you find that that's like a tough thing at that level? Or could someone go through it like a business owner would go through like a P&L and be able to scrap stuff and say like, why are we really spending this much on X, whatever that might be? I mean, I don't say the $600 million stadium. I'm yeah. a Giants fan, by the way. So that's... <laughs> No, I mean it's it's like uh, like you said, uh, looking at a business's budget mm-hmm. or household budget, right? Yep. I mean, yeah, you know, even I mean, who wouldn't like a nicer car or bigger house or more vacations? But you know, hey, our family income is this, and that's not going to change a lot. And and, and uh, you know, you got to plan for the future. Oh, the kids are going to be going to college pretty soon. I mean, the state should be doing the same thing. Hey, you know what? We know that we. We had to skimp on road work the last few years, and that's going to catch up to us. So we need, we know that that's coming. We need to plan for that. Um, I mean, uh, you know, you just can't keep saying, "Well, we'll just we'll raise, we'll, we'll raise more taxes, we'll raise the budget." Um, you know, it's uh, the um, Bruce Almighty. You know that that yeah, movie, yep. right? When he gets fed up with all the prayers, and he just said yes to all, and then all hell broke loose. I mean, you can't say yes to all. Um, now. I am not advocating, and I think uh, hopefully I've, it's come across in some of the news articles. I've never said, well, we should cut our budget in half because we spend more than Texas and Florida combined. My argument isn't to put New York's budget where Texas and Florida's is. Now, w- me saying that, there will be people that will hear that and say, why not, Dan? If Texas can run it for $100 million, then New York can run it for $100 million. We didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get out of here overnight. But my point is... As much as I'll tell that person, look, we're not going to cut the budget in half, even though I can understand where they're coming from, I will also argue strongly there's no reason for us to say we need to continue to raise that budget. You know, we, we're at $224 billion, more than Texas and Florida combined. Let's freeze it there and start setting priorities. There's a lot of waste in Medicaid, uh, Medicaid fraud. You know, I mean, uh, there's been estimates that $5 billion on an annual basis could be wasted uh, through inefficiencies and fraud uh, in Medicaid. That's $5 billion that, you know, some would say we can cut taxes, $5 billion, or that's $5 billion that we could put into meaningful infrastructure or whatever. um, When I went to, uh, I got my MBA while I was in the Navy at the University of Rhode Island. I went went to school at night and I got my MBA. And that's where, you know, I started learning about benchmarking. You know, we don't need to do this in a vacuum by ourselves and have somebody say, hey, where can we cut? We could say, let's go look at, you know, compare ourselves to similar states. You know, what is Texas doing? You know, how, you know, let's look at Texas's budget. Let's look at Florida's budget. Let's look at California's budget. They've got twice as many people as we do, but our budget is almost as big as theirs. Where are they not spending money and how could we change certain parts of our budget now, I understand we've got winter and Texas, Florida don't. Um, but, you know, t- Florida has hurricanes and Florida has an older population than New York. 
Um, you know, everyone's like, ah, New York's got, you know, world-class education system. I'm sure, our, you know, that you could argue that our education system is better than Florida's. Is it twice as good as Florida's? You know, are all their kids going to Harvard? I mean, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think that benchmarking and comparing us to other states is a, is, would be a good way to right-size this. But a lot of, we, we've wasted a lot. So we'd spend more than Texas Florida combined on Medicaid. So, you know, a lot of people are like, that's a federal program. Why, how could we, because it's an a la carte kind of check the box thing, the federal government offers Medicaid, but we have selected the Cadillac options on our policy in New York where others haven't. And we're spending a lot, and it shows. Um, we, we, we aren't too interested in New York on, on making sure that Medicaid is only going to people that are here legally, uh, you know. And, uh, and so there's a lot of people that are coming to New York that maybe shouldn't be receiving these benefits at all, but they're getting them in New York. Um, and again, is that going to cut our budget in half? No, but you know, at this point, we'd be better off if we could just hold the line. You know, at, at, when Cuomo instituted the um, tax cap, local governments hated it, right? Um, and in some ways, it was unfair. You know, a local government that was running it tight, you know, to the you know tight belt all along and didn't have a lot of fluff. Then you impose on them the tax cap. It made them look bad. Whereas another local government that had big surpluses and and a bloated uh, budgets, they could they could make the changes and not fail the tax cap. But one of the good things that Cuomo did was um, he said, "Hey, we're going to have the state live within the tax cap itself." Now he he confined it to the operations budget, but it was still it was uh, self imposed. Let's keep it, you know, keep the state's increase to under 2%. And he did that for most of the years that he was there. Now, when we went from split government where the Republicans controlled the Senate and the, and the Assembly was in uh, the Democrats' hands, when in 2018 the election gave the Senate to the Democrats, from 2018 to 2022, the state budget went from $177 billion to $224 billion. I mean, it went up like 6% a year each of those four years. So, you know, the, the spending discipline that had been there under split government was gone. And so now, I mean, you know, some of my colleagues from New York City, again, I believe that they mean well. But, you know, I, we can't, it just, it, it's financially irresponsible to say we're going to keep, you know, jacking how much our budget is. And, but yet there are some, they're completely comfortable with that. Um, how does it work with, I guess, with taxes? Like, where does... Like say up up here or the forty fifth district um, is paying taxes. Does majority of those taxes stay here or just go into a massive state budget and that gets filtered around? You know, so there's always been an argument, uh, and I think it's it may have changed over time. Um, there's a lot of people that believe that we pay m- more money into New York than comes back here, and they you know that there's some that believe that the money is flowing to New York City that we are subsidizing New York City. Um, I don't know uh, when that changed or if that changed, but but I can tell you that right now um, I've heard from more people than not that would know this isn't political spin. These are people that would know the numbers, but I, I couldn't tell you what the number is that. No, actually, New York City is paying more in uh, and, and the, the money the the tax benefit is flowing from south to north, not north to south. Um, but uh, no, I mean, the state collects the money and then it, it does redistribute it. Um, you know, in, in various programs, a lot of times to where the people are, you know, and so New York City 
uh, you know, we'll certainly see its line, you know, its fair share. Well, I think New York's going to be one of the more trickier, probably the trickiest state, just because of how big New York City is relative to the rest. I mean, California's, I mean, California's got some big cities. I mean, they're they're such a massive. We're like city. Illinois. Illinois has got Chicago. Yeah. Man. And if you look at their politics, Illinois, Chicago is very blue. And then the rest of the downstate is yeah. red. So it's like yeah. New York only upside down. Yeah. So, I mean, do you find it that, but I mean, it's able to be managed through the state, you think? I mean, you've been doing it ever, I mean, since the start of New York state, but I mean, that's not really a problem in your eyes that what we're, I, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm saying the, uh, with how much you said, like New York, um, New York city has about 50% of the actual legislators, but overall it does, even though there's some stuff that you wouldn't agree on overall, you think the system's I, you fine know, as is? I, well, fine as is, is a different question, but, um, you know, is it, is it, uh, is it spread evenly or spread fairly? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, there are certain aspects that, uh, you know, upstate is different because it's a rural. Mm -hmm. Like if you start saying, well, you're per capita or per mile or whatever, well, that's, you know, you know, that's an impossible argument in the North country because we don't have the density, you know, the economy is a scale of having a large concentration of people. So I think you have to factor that in. So, I mean, depending on how you, you'd like to think that every part of the state is going to get what it needs. Now, with that said, one of the issues that we've had for years is broadband, right? Yeah. Um, now, I could tell you this. Per person, we've spent a lot of tax money, more tax money per person, subsidizing broadband in the in the upstate. Yeah, makes sense. We had to. You yeah. know, I mean, that's what we're doing that now. Um, you know, but uh, um, but there will be people say, oh, New York City gets it first, you know, and we're begging. We still don't have good broadband. I think that's a, just the nature of infrastructure in the, you know, it's not to say, well, then it's fine. Let's accept it like that. I mean, you know, I think we were right to subsidize and build it out. I don't want our kids to be at a competitive disadvantage from some kid on Long Island because our kids have to park in a parking lot at a town hall to do their homework. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's towns like that. Um, we've made a lot of improvements in broadband, but we've got more to do. But, you know, um, you know, so there'll be people like, oh, New York City has, you know, broadband and we don't and we're spending a lot of money now to get broadband here. And there's still going to be places that are so rural that they, they won't get it. I feel that it's better than it was even a handful of years ago. I feel like you're starting to, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember you go through the Adirondacks, you like you would lose service just south of, just south of Plattsburgh when you come back in probably in Queensbury. It's a lot better. Than, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, now again, was it efficient or timely? Could we have done it, you know, for less money and less time? Oh yeah, you know, I mean, the make ready and a lot of the, you know, the fighting with the utility pole owners and the money that went into that and, you know, I, I uh, the the accuracy of the first maps that were used. You know, where they if one person in a um, in a census block had broadband, then the map considered the whole census block served. That's crazy, but that's how the first maps were. They were very granular. Mm -hmm. um, the mapping has gotten better, and and yeah, oh, there's no doubt that broadband. Um, and I have seen those numbers that broadband in the North Country and in my Senate district is a much higher percentage than it was five years ago. And a lot of these projects have been awarded and they just haven't been built out yet. So they're, they're in the pipeline and they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to happen and we're going to stay on them. It's, it's an important issue, but you're absolutely right. Uh, broadband and cell service have both improved. Um, and, uh, you know, just can't take our foot off the gas. You know, I don't, the fear is, is that we get to 90% and say, yeah, that's good enough. And then we leave the other 10% hanging. Now we may not get to hundred percent, but I'd rather get to 99% than 91%. Yeah, no, I, I feel like it's been better. It's just, yeah. I mean, that's always a, a point of contention around here. Um, now how, how does it work with, 
like you working with um, people at the local level or at the federal level? Like obviously we have it was just we have just three representatives, right, for the federal from our district. We have Elise, we have Schumer and, and, and Gillibrand. Correct. Yep. Um, do you ever have to work with any of them, or again, the local level, like a Cashman or Rosenquist? And yeah. how often do you have to deal with the local politicians? Uh, you know, I, I work with the locals more than I do the federal. Okay. You know, I I, th- I think that's also the nature of it. The locals, I mean, they've got their own uh, relationships and, and avenues to get federal funding. But for the most part, most of the locals' issues are with the state. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll deal with the Cashman and a Rosenquist more frequently than I would Senator Schumer or Gillibrand. Of the three federal representatives, you know, it's the congressional rep is the one that you're going to have the most contact with. Yeah. It's a big state. You know, I mean, you know, there's, uh, if there's legislation out there and we want to be known on it, we'll certainly also contact um, those, uh, you know, uh, Gillibrand and Schumer. And they're in the district a lot, but they're not in, you know, they're not around as much as the congressional rep, right? There's 26 members of Congress. There's, there's only two senators. So, yeah. you know, Lisa's is the most visible to me. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as like, which group did I interact with more? I, there's 84 towns in this uh, Senate district. You know, I mean, I have a hard time. And every time there's a local election, it like takes me six months to catch up and, and know everybody's name again. Um, you know, so, uh, but it's a, a lot more contact with local government. What about, uh, Billy or is it Matt? Is Matt, Simpson? Matt, Matt Simpson. So when I, when I took Betty Little's seat, when she retired, Matt backfilled and took my assembly seat, Matt Simpson. And Matt's still there. Yeah, Matt's still yeah. there. Yeah, Matt and Billy. And then Billy and I, similar, you know, we both had local government experience and yeah. before we got to the uh, legislature. And, you know, they're, they're both good to work with. You know, I mean, again, um, you know, Billy has got a conference that he has to work with. And uh, there's politics within the conference, you know. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, he, while he's a Dem, he's not a Dem like some of the Dems from the Bronx. You know, yeah, I think um, I think the, there was a joke kind of running around that Billy's like, I think like a Republican as like just a, in a Democrat clothing kind of thing. Yeah, but well, you know, yeah, he's North Country, right? He's, yeah, he's, he's a pretty he's a pretty moderate Democrat. And I think, yeah, okay, well, certainly compared to our colleagues. Yeah, from there's the city. <laughs> yeah. That, no, Billy. And like I said, Billy's uh, he's been around for I think it's his third term. Yeah, the, uh, I think that he fourth? just got elected to his fourth term. Fourth now. term. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, I he, so. he seems like he's been there for a while now. Like yeah. I've gotten to know him better, you know, over the last couple of years. But yeah. um, now. I guess regarding going forward with, you know, you just got reelected. Like yep. what's the, how's that when you guys go in the session next month? Like what's, right. what's the change that like? All right. So, uh, first thing that'll happen is there'll be leadership elections. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, and almost certainly, uh, Carl Hasey will be reelected by the assembly as the speaker. Uh, Andrew Stork cousins will almost certainly continue on as a uh, Senate majority leader. Uh, so that'll happen, you know, right at the beginning of session, uh, then the governor is going to give a state of the state speech and, and her executive budget. And that's, that starts the, the budget is spelled out. There are certain wickets that have to be done by certain days. And then obviously the main one is we're supposed to have an adopted budget by April 1st. You know, usually we're day or two after, which isn't the end of the world. I mean, years ago it was August before they were getting these budgets done. So, uh, although there's no reason for us not to get it done on April 1st, I mean, you know, um, we always get these, um, messages of necessity. Now that didn't enter the consciousness of the average New Yorker until the SAFE Act, right? The SAFE Act came in, and my first vote in the Assembly in twenty third January twenty thirteen um, was the gun control law, known as the SAFE Act. And the state constitution says that a bill is supposed to age for three days before it gets voted on. That's to give us a chance to read it, but more importantly, that's to give the 
voter, the public, a chance to vet it and contact us with issues with it or their opinions. We're not just supposed to pass stuff without anyone knowing what we're passing. But understandably, there's a provision in the Constitution that says under message of necessity issued by the governor and agreed to by the legislature, we can waive the three days. That's for emergencies. That's like a comet hits upstate New York. And, yeah. you know, emergency and you need, funds. Need, uh, yeah, yeah the, the, that April 1st follows March 31st is not a is not an emergency it april 1st is followed march 31st for over 2000 years you know i mean it's just crazy but they use that message of necessity i understand that deadlines bring pressure and create movement to get to agreement i mean i understand that but for crying out loud we're professionals it's a it's a 224 billion dollar budget we're adults for crying out loud you give us a deadline and say darn it deliver on that deadline but um so Getting back to your initial question, though, so the governor will roll out her first draft of the budget. Then the next process is the Senate will do its own budget and, and parallel with the Assembly doing its own budget. And, the, uh, and then those three versions will be the starting point for negotiations between the governor and the legislature. And that gets hot and heavy through March. And then, and then at the end of March, we start looking at, again, those 10 bills and in addition to $224 billion, there will be, you know, this program and that policy change and this, you know, this change to criminal justice. And, you know, there'll be all kinds of, um, of policy in there. A lot of it will be controversial. I mean, if somebody's going to say, Dan, what percentage of the stuff that you do legislatively uh, occurs as part of the budget for the whole session? Two thirds. Two thirds of like changes to the laws that we make will will be in that budget process so that's that's a substantial part of our time so when you say like in session what's what, what would you consider in session throughout the year what all months? right so all right so we start in january and we end in early june so the first six months of the year mm -hmm. and again the first three months is really building towards that april 1st budget deadline so um february and march a little you know a little more other than you know we'll do some bills uh but in the background a lot of staff time is going towards preparing the, for the budget and then uh and then april and may you know we uh april is a slower month and then may we start building up and and towards a deadline you know in early june to get out of albany so then the last week of session is you know we will be doing a ton of bills a lot of them will be non-controversial you know housekeeping things and so like if somebody looked at how many bills do we pass a week you know you might see you know, you know, 50, 50, 50. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, the last week of session, 300 bills. Like what? But a lot of them will be renaming this bridge or extending this tax. You know, and they're not new. I think we had one that went to the floor. We won like a the state championship one year and that got passed through as like something. I think I think we might have been yeah. centered a little that passed it just as kind of like a, hey, we want to congratulate. And like everybody's like, yeah, congratulate. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you guys are like. So a lot what? of that happens right at the end. Yeah. You know, a lot of the easy stuff and then some hard stuff. I mean, the you know, we also will kick that can down the road or something will come up mm -hmm. and they'll say, we got to get this done. We have to do it by the end of session. So um, we'll have late nights that last week in March and then we'll have late nights that, la that last week of session in June. And I always tell people, and again, like, you know, there's, <laughs> There's there's still people that I work with. They're old enough to be my parents 
in there. You know, we, we, there's not a bunch of kids. And a late night hurts me now, you know, but I mean, I'm looking at, you know, some of these people, I mean, they've had people that have had medical problems over the years because of this, you know, pulling all nighters. Yeah. So, you know, you got to, like I tell everyone, the legislature in New York is like that college kid, you know, in January, they give us the syllabus. This is your calendar for the year. And, you know, and our midterm is the budget, right? And then we've got the final exam, which is that last week of session. And we will coast and fool around and do hardly any legislation in january february and then holy smokes i got a cram for my midterm and we'll pull an all-nighter right you know you're not turning in your best work at that point you're just happy to get it done it's not yeah. your best work it's terrible and then you say i swear god i'm never doing that again and then guess what next semester we do it all over again you know we are like that college kid <laughs> so so, uh, so after, after June, so starting July, then you're considered out of session? Out of session. And, and that's more just like district stuff? District and stuff, you know, and then that's another, um, um, you know, again, going back to Stafford and, well, Stafford was an attorney, but Senator Little, um, you know, this, this was all she did. And uh, this is all that I do. But there are some of our colleagues, they run businesses, uh, insurance businesses. A lot of them are attorneys, so they have law practices out there. And, and sometimes you talk about that outside income, you know, and that becomes a, a, an issue, you know, as to, you know, people get in trouble, you know, are you, uh, you know, are you doing legislative work or are you, are they, are they paying you to be a lawyer? Are they paying you because you're, you know, in the legislature and, but, um, but you know, many people will go back to other jobs. Um, I don't, um, Billy doesn't, Matt Simpson doesn't, um, Betty, Betty Little didn't, uh, Janet Dupre didn't, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I, I think a lot of it though, is that our districts are very large. Yeah. And so, I mean, I will, yeah, I, you know, when I'm not in session, you know, like, so in March, a lot of people won't see me running around the district in March because almost every day during the week I'm down in Albany. You know, so instead of driving into the district, I'm driving south to the capital. But when uh, when we're done with session and we're not running to Albany, like I make it to Albany about once a month now. Um, but and and then I'm spending all my time. Hey, I got to get up to Plattsburgh. I got to go to Malone. I got to go now. I'll be going to Messina. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, and as we talked about before, I mean, it's a three-hour ride to Messina. I don't mind doing it. But if I'm going to Messina, that means I'm not in Plattsburgh that day, or I'm not in Tupper Lake that day. And so, uh, you know, it, because these districts are so large, I think that historically you've seen that most uh, of your representatives have only done this for the job because to do it right you've just got to get in the car and you got to go you got to go travel the district um how many people are on, on your staff so i have um i, I want to make uh, full-time staff members i have one two three four full-time five full-time staffers one in albany and four in my district office and then i have another part-time person in my district office and i have a part-time uh, person in Malone, um, uh, uh, Andrea Dumas, who's also the mayor of Malone. So okay. um, she works for me part time. And I, again, Malone was, you know, so far away that when I first started, I wanted to say, hey, you know, I need to make sure I've got an anchor and a presence um, in Franklin County. And uh, Andrea was somebody that I connected with early on. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she's a good uh, uh, face and, and, and set of ears for me in, in the northern part of the district. So, like, when you get those bills and stuff, and they're pages and pages and pages long, I'm sure, like, everybody's scouring over all the pages yep. and making notes for you and kind of... Yeah. Because I was going to say, are you, do you read a lot? 
I, not yeah. me, not that, but I'm like, do you like reading? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do like to read, but you know, again, you want to talk about drinking water from a fire hose. So yeah, to, you know, to your point. So I mean, uh, and, and with me today here is uh, my legislative director happens to be with us today, John Alexander, um, and that is what he does. Is he's the guy that bird dogs not only my bills, but he's also screening, uh, you know, and, and the other bills that are coming up for debate, and he, you know, he's doing the research on them. And but in addition to somebody on my staff that does that, we also have a pool staff for the for the conference so the the senate republicans have staff members that are uh, that do this for all of us just like the assembly democrats and the senate democrats and the assembly republicans they have a, a shared staff that is you know like when it's time to brief the budget that's too big for one office to do you know we need our staff to to go through it as a team and then brief all the senators all at once and, and answer our questions so so we have a shared staff and then we all have individual office staffs um, I was going to say, I should ask you, John, if you like reading. Do you read, or is that like all you do for reading, or do you? No, he reads a lot. He's a well-read guy. But I mean, beyond just that, I mean, do you like read books just for pleasure? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, so I saw this question the other day, and I po- I'm going to pose, but I'm going to ask you too, because um, I've tried to read a lot. Yep. This was the question. What's the one book that's changed your life? Or name one book that's changed your life. A book that changed my life? Oh, yeah. Could be, could be your favorite book. Could be just a book you get the most out of. I you, well, you know, now think for, about that too, John. All right, I'll let him think about it. Now, for I have two favorite books. I don't think they changed my life, but I really did. Could, could be a favorite book. Well, so I'm my, just going to add them to a reading list. So, all right, so um, my two favorite books. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, the Cane Mutiny. What is it? The Cane C A I N. Oh, the Cane Mutiny by uh, Herman Woke. That was a great book, a World War II Navy book, and then um, and then the other one is. Um, uh, the Last of the Mohegans, Robert Louis Stevenson. And I like that book uh, because it takes place where, you know, the the cave that they hide in in the movie, you know, that scene in the movie, The Last of the Mohegans, they're hiding in a cave underneath a waterfall. Mm-hmm. That's Glens Falls. You know, that's that's a real place. Like in and real life, that's it. In real life, that's a real place. And, and that, The Last of the Mohegans takes place around the Lake George area, you know, the, the, the road from, the military road from Fort Edward to Fort William Henry on the southern shore of Lake George. I mean, that's, that's where it's set. So I like that book. It, um, it's a classic, and it's it's a really uh, um, uh, entertaining read. But it's also very local, you know. So for me, I just enjoyed, you know, just reading that. So those are the those are the two books that I've read that that really stick out at me as you know favorite books. But I don't know, a book that changed my life. Yeah. It could be favorite book. Like yeah. I said, if you yeah. that's good enough, John. What do you have? All right, um, <laughs> I go uh, Mysticism and Logic by Bertrand Russell. What is it called? Mysticism and Logic by Bertrand Russell was really, you know, blew my mind when I was in college. And then... Um, I'll, have to, like, I'll have to look up how to spell the first one. And then um, uh, probably The Gaelic Wars by Caesar. The Gaelic Wars? Yeah. Okay. See, I told you he was really well-read. See, I surround myself with people that are smarter than me. <laughs> All right. I'm going to... Yeah. I'll have to get... I'll get the spelling of the first one before, but that's... Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. I'm just trying to expand my reading list. I like I like reading, but I said if I can get some uh, recommendations from people, it makes it easier. Absolutely. So, um, so what's your what's your um, actually before we last thing I was going to ask before the goals, but I want to ask yep. before about campaigning. So you're up for re-election every two years, correct? So which is different than the state or the federal because that's every six years for the, the Senate. The U.S. Senate six years, but and the House is two, and in New York, both the Assembly and the State Senate are two. So. I guess my, my when I, I talk I, I talked to you guys quickly before, but 
does it feel like you're just always campaigning or does it it, it seems like how much I guess does you think that campaigning takes away from stuff you'd rather be doing well I mean yes and no uh, I had an opponent this year I, I was on the ballot I had a campaign this year and there's certain things that you know there's you're gonna you're gonna spend money you're gonna raise money you're gonna do mailers and all that I mean there that's pure campaigning but as far as going to events you know, going to this ribbon cutting, going to this business meeting, going to this constituent group, meeting with this environmental group, whether it's a campaign year or a non-campaign year, I do, you know, so a lot, my calendar by and large looks the same, whether it's a on year or an off year campaign wise. Okay. Um, and the campaign year, in addition to that, you're adding in your own fundraisers or attending other people's fundraisers. Um, but I, I go to parades on even number years and odd numbered years. I go to you know, chamber of commerce breakfast, even number years and odd number years. So probably, um, I'd say probably 80% of what I do in a campaign year is what I do in a non-campaign year. Okay. So it's more, but it's not like a lot more, but with that said, you, I guess you could say, well, then you're always campaigning, you know, and you just, you, you, your activity level goes up a little bit more in the actual election year. But I mean, you know, it's, you're, you're representing, you know, you I mean, am I, am I campaigning when I go to visit your workplace or I sit down with your group and talk about your issue? Um, I'm educating myself. I'm doing hopefully preparing myself to better represent my constituents needs in Albany. Um, but I'm also benefiting myself that you're meeting with me and you're getting your chance to talk to me because I work for you. Um, and if and if and if you're sitting down with me and you're realizing that I'm paying attention to you and I'm asking questions and I'm trying to learn um, and I'm trying and maybe I, I can help. Maybe I can't or maybe I agree with you or maybe I don't. But that we have a conversation and you walk away with her that, hey, he's a hard worker. He's trying to do the right thing. Um, and and I might get your vote. So am I campaigning or am I doing my job? I mean, I think the two are intertwined. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you're doing a good job, that's also good campaigning. Um, and uh, that, so that's always been my approach. It's like I, you know, I, I, I told everyone I would have done the same stuff this year if I was unopposed. Do you find, um, I guess, because realistically, like you go to an election, you have one day of the year that basically do you have job security for two more years or not? So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're kind of always up and, you know, is that... I mean, do you ever get one? Is it nerve wracking on election night? Because obviously you see polls and you kind of have an idea. And I mean, I've looked. You've this year you won pretty comfortably. But if you're if you look at it, like at what point um, do you ever really get nervous, or is it still kind of like, well, I still could be voted out, but you have kind of a good idea going in. Uh, that's it. Shake you, out. You know, I you know it depends. Uh, that's a personality question. You know, like yeah. I mean, I, I I consider myself. I tend to be a worrier. Right. Okay. So the, you know, the old saying though, you, you, you plan for the worst, hope for the best, mm -hmm. you know? And so by the time election day go, like I, I've, I've been doing this, I've seen 13 elections now, you know, from town board to Senate. And, um, you know, usually around mid October, you've got, you, 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 that's what, that's when people start thinking about it and talking about it. You may be working your tail off July and August and September yeah. and you're doing it, but like no one's talking about it. You know, you're, you're, you're consumed by the campaign, but no one else cares, right? Then you get past Labor Day and people start to pay a little bit of attention when the kids are back in school. And then after, you know, after Columbus Day, you know, people are really starting to think about it. And so you do start to get a vibe, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I've always got a vibe. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, you see some poll numbers, 
you watch the news, you can see which way the, you know, the, the, the tide is flowing. Now, obviously this year, you know, it wasn't as red a tide as, as the country was expecting, mm-hmm. but you know, in my case, you know, I, I, I knew the district, I knew where I was, I knew how the campaign had gone. So I, I, I felt like, all right, I'm going to be okay. Um, but you know what, until those numbers come in, you still hold your breath, you know, yeah. I mean, I, you know, you do, but, uh, um, you know, and the, the initial numbers always come in uh, now. They're early voting, and Dems seem to like early voting more than Republicans. So that first wave of numbers is like, whoa, you know, and then... but well, then, especially this year for you. I was watching, yeah. and I was like, Dems getting kind of whacked here for the first 1% of votes coming in, and right. then obviously it... Right, you know, and, things- and, 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 and I knew that that's how it would flow, but still, that's yeah. still a... You know, a little like you know. you're still below the line at that point. Yeah, yeah. you're like, oh, all right, come on, let's wait. And then, like, all right, like 20 minutes later, you're like, okay, all right, now these are starting to look like the numbers we were expecting. Um, so when we look at numbers or you try to predict the numbers, like, where do you get who who does most of that information for you? Do you have just like people you know, doing polls, so, like for your team, and, or well, all right, so there's there's polling companies that you can hire to do polls. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't pay for polls, so my my well, I take that back. I I did uh, I did have one poll done. Um, about two weeks before the election, it was a small poll, um, just to like check, see where we are, uh, to see if we wanted to make any, you know, tweaks, but, um, you know, the, my first Senate run, I didn't pull at all, you know? Um, so yeah, how do I gauge how I'm doing? You hear how the congressional poll is, or you hear how the governor's poll is. Mm -hmm. They may not be polling my race, but if Lee Zeldin is doing really well in upstate or if Elise Stefanik's not poll numbers are good then I know that mine are probably going to be similar, you know, and, and I, you know, I've been, you know, on the ballot now a couple of times, like, uh, um, uh, with Elise and, uh, her district is, uh, you know, obviously my district sits with entirely within hers, but her district is much larger. So it's kind of hard to gauge exactly, but you know, I, you get an idea, all right. What are, or what are her trends? You know, she's, she'll poll several times during the year. And, uh, you know, and if I hear that their poll numbers are steady or improving, then I usually feel like, all right, mine are probably trending in a similar direction. I mean, uh, but, um, you know, it's a different race, the congressional, they're spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands and, you know, millions of dollars in that campaign. And, and, you know, state Senate, you know, upstate, uh, state Senate races aren't nearly as expensive. Um, it's more shoe leather and, and it's, again, it's the work that you're doing, you know, now, you know, I mean, I'm two years out from the next election. I'm working and if I'm doing a good job and I'm making a meeting person for the first time, they, you know, th- that, that has campaign value, you yeah, know? And, absolutely. and so, you know, I mean, the motivation, if you want to win an election, then do a good job when you've got the job. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's a, one of the advantages of incumbency is that, you know, I'm in a position to work hard and, and, and listen and, and, you know, carry a message and, and try to represent as best as I can. And uh, people, you know, will see that over, you know, and not everyone, not everyone follows it, you know, but um, for those that do, you're making a difference. You know, I, I try to have a good Facebook page um, because, again, I can put out what I'm doing and people can see he's not sitting on the couch in Glens Falls. You know, he's in Plattsburgh today. Next week, he's going to be in Clifton on Monday. I mean, Clifton. A lot of people don't you're know where Clifton, Clifton is. You're talking about Clifton. I, I'm not talking about Clifton Park. Oh, That's I know where, right. Yeah, I know where Clifton <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. You know, so I'll be in Clifton on the 19th. You know, and, about this many people. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not it's, a big town, but it's beautiful, you yeah. know. And, uh, well, my dad went to Ranger School, you know, so... Uh, now, which is in uh, Fine. Is that, that's considered Adirondack Park, right, Clifton? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I was oh, yeah. Say. yeah. Clifton and Fine, are, yep. uh, that's Adirondack Park. But, um, you know, so, I mean, I you know, that's Cranberry Lake. That's God's country. It's beautiful, but there's not a ton of people there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, you know, I mean, the, the district's big. And it, if you're working, uh, most people, it, look, if you're honest and they, and they see that you're working hard, 
they will forgive you when they disagree with you. If again, if they know that you're working hard and that you're honest. Yeah. Um, now, you know, if you're working hard and you're honest and they always disagree with you, all right, you're not getting that vote. But you know, but if you're work, you're, you're a hard worker and you're honest and they agree with you most of the time and they trust, you know, so they trust your judgment, they trust your sincerity, you're going to you're going to get those votes. Um, well, that's why I always look at, especially at the local level, because we can, we get a chance to actually meet people. Like I've, you know, I can meet you, can meet Billy, can meet Michael. Like, um, so you kind of get to know the person a little bit more than just what you see on headlines. And I think that that's the benefit of local politics is that you typically, you know, these people agree. And I think it's the same thing. You might not have the same letter. You might not agree with them on certain things, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's a good person. I think their heart's in the right place. Mm -hmm. You know, and you kind of hope that you just trust that they are going to do the thing. And I think it really comes down to what you just mentioned. Um, Last thing I want to ask you about yeah. going forward, like what's one of your ma- your main goals, I guess, for the next, uh, well, I mean two years, but I don't know if it's yeah. a one or a two year kind of goal, however you plan yeah. out goals, but what are kind of like some priorities about prioritizing? Like what's some priorities that you're really focused on over the next year or two? Now, you know, and you've got like big statewide kind of issues, like, and then you've got more localized or specific to the district. Like, you know, like I, I, I may say I want to improve cellular service. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like somebody in Rochester would be like, oh, how's that important? You know, so, um, you know, there's some more localized issues. And then so like the big picture statewide, look, we're we're on defense, you know, and as Republicans in the Senate Assembly, we are reacting to what what lately seems to be more and more crazy, you know, and I I mean that, you know, in, 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 in all good naturedness, but, you know, just like out, out and about, you know, way out in left field stuff. And we're defending that. We're like, look, we're spending money we don't have. We're treating criminals better than we are victims. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of stuff. So I want to continue to fight the fight with the changes to bail reform. The corrections law, you know, is making our corrections facilities more dangerous for people to work in and for the inmates. Um, but then, like, there's like going to be a specific goals that I, I've got in the in the uh, district itself. Or uh, I've got 84 towns, and all are part of six counties. Uh, they're going to have bills that they need me to carry that are specific to them. And they're kind of wonky. Like the average person wouldn't know, you know, you know, what do you, the mortgage tax, what's the mortgage tax? Well, this, this County needs their mortgage tax renewed. It's not sexy legislation. It's more meat and potatoes, blocking and tackling stuff. So we'll have a host of local bills that we need to do. But, you know, as far as like things that people might see that I want to continue to advocate for, you know, more forest rangers in the park, which we did uh, get a Mm -hmm. graduating class that just came in and I was thrilled that we're going to have more rangers in the Adirondacks. Um, we got more people using the Adirondacks. We've got more rescues in the Adirondacks. Yeah. We need more rangers in the Adirondacks. So I was glad to see that, you know, that advocacy came through here. Um, but uh, um, we've got the World University Games coming up. That was a lot of work. Uh, that, that's coming to a head here in January. Um, I'll be interested in seeing that. Yep. And uh, But, you know, broadband, we're not done with that. And, again, if you've got broadband, then you don't care. Damn, why are you – you know what? Because not all your neighbors have broadband. Yeah. We're still – we're still, and, and, and unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get all of them. But we're going to get as many as we can, and we're not done there. I want to improve cellular service. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, a lot of it is just really boring stuff. But we need to find a way to not spend so much money so that we can spend it on other. I mean, look, yes to all is a great idea, yeah. you know, but it isn't always the right answer, you know. But I'd love to say yes to more things. But we got to got to have the money to be able to do that, which means we have to have an economy. And that means we need to look at our regulations. We got to try to be a little more business friendly in New York. So, I mean, these are the things that I'll be advocating for, you know, certainly this upcoming session. Yeah, well, Dan, we'll wrap it up there. I appreciate right. you coming on and uh, you appreciate you holding the mic the whole time. If no, you are, I might no be a problem. little tired, but uh, maybe we'll make John drive in. now. But uh, 
No, I, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, like I said, I, I wish you luck. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can take a little bit of a sigh of relief now that the the campaigning's done, but you're, you got two more yeah, years. No, so it's we're, good. we're ready to go to work. Um, well, that's it. Um, and if anybody can find you, I'll put some stuff down below, but I'm sure they can reach out to you okay. through all, all your, uh, all your avenues, maybe a Facebook page. Maybe do you have TikTok? No. Okay. I didn't know if you were dancing on TikTok. <laughs> no, I don't do TikTok. <laughs> I, I don't either. So that's good. All right. We're going to wrap it up there. That's episode 213 with Senator Dan Stack. Thank you for listening to the Galen Trombley show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on all social platforms at Galen Trombley. Thanks for listening.